Hi, my name is Denise. I'm from the Deacon Christian Union Mission Team. Um, I'll be reading um, from Isaiah 30, verse 15 to 33. It's found on page 744 on your Black Pew Bibles. Verse 15, this is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses, therefore you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one, at the threat of five you will all flee away. Till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountain top, like a banner on a hill. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity, and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Then you will defile your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold. You will throw them away like a menstrual cloth and say to them, away with you. He will also send you rain for the seed you sow in the ground and the food that comes from the land will be rich and plentiful. In that day, your cattle will graze in broad meadows. The oxen and donkeys that work the soil will eat fodder and mash, spread out with fork and shovel. In the day of the great slaughter, when the towers fall, streams of water will flow on every high mountain and every lofty hill. The moon will shine like the sun and the sunlight will be seven times brighter, like the light of seven full days. When the Lord binds up the bruises of his people and heals the wounds he inflicted. See, the name of the Lord comes from afar, with burning anger and dense clouds of smoke. His lips are full of wrath, and his tongue is a consuming fire. His breath is like a rushing torrent, rising up to the neck. He shakes the nations in the sieve of destruction. He places in the jaws of the people a bit that leads them astray. And you will sing as on the night you celebrate a holy festival. Your hearts will rejoice as when people go up with flutes to the mountain of the Lord, to the rock of Israel. The Lord will cause men to hear his majestic voice and will make them see his arm coming down with raging anger and consuming fire, with cloudbursts, thunderstorm, and hail. The voice of the Lord will shatter Assyria. With his, with his scepter, he will strike them down. Every stroke the Lord lays on them with his punishing rod will be to the music of tambourines and harps as he fights them in the battle with the blows of his arm. Topheth has long been prepared. It has been made ready for the king. Its fire pit has been made deep and wide with an abundance of fire and wood. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of burning sulfur, sets it ablaze. Thank you. Well, my name's John. A warm welcome to all of you. A warm welcome to the Deakin University students. Thank you for serving us so well this 
week. Uh, one welcome to those of you who are here for the first time as well. I see a few visitors this morning to join us for morning tea after our service here. Uh, it has been a big week, a lot of things happening and uh, it's wonderful to be doing ministry and mission together with the students. Uh, hopefully we've been a blessing to you. Uh, you've certainly been a blessing to many of us and thank you to those of you who brought food in, fed the students, hosted the students. Uh, what a wonderful way for us to show uh, Christian hospitality. Last night there was the men's event in fact and we found out and discovered that some of us men can cook. Well actually we can't call it cooking, we call it baking. Actually, it wasn't even much baking. It was just chucking stuff together in a bowl, putting it in the oven, and out comes the muffin. And that's what we call cooking. We never even got close to the fire. Uh, but it was a big week um, and a good week. And once again, God always uses his word and, and God in his providence. Isaiah 30, a word I needed to hear this week and hopefully a word that you need to hear this morning. So let's pray that God will work his word in our hearts. Let's, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is always true, always living and active. It does teach us, it does remind us that you are God, we are not, and that we are to utterly, completely depend on you. So help us to trust in you, to see that your work is true and will work. It's work in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now many of you would know that I like coffee. I like a good coffee. Now the thing with good coffee is that you need to be patient. It takes time to make a good coffee. You need a lot of patience, in fact. If you have a coffee machine, you know how this works. You have to warm up the coffee machine to 93 degrees, just 93 degrees. Then you have to grind the coffee beans, and it has to be fresh beans, and if you're a real coffee person, you roast your own beans. And then you have to tamp the coffee with 30 pounds of pressure, no more, no less. It takes a lot of patience. And then you put the coffee into the group head and you extract the coffee hoping that it'll come out thick and viscous. And it comes out extracted at one mil per second. Uh, you need a lot of patience. And that, while that's happening, you steam the milk hoping that it'll be thick and silky and then you do your awesome latte art. You see, to, to have good coffee, you need a lot of patience. But if you don't have that type of patience, what do you do? And you want a coffee. Well, you head to the pantry and you go for the international roast or Nescafe. Now you'll never find that in my household ever. Not that there's anything wrong with that. If you like instant coffee, just don't offer it to me. <laughs> but there is something good with patience, isn't there? And for good coffee, you need a bit of patience. It takes a bit of time and waiting and that's a good thing. Now many of you might know that of me already. I like a good coffee. But many of you might not know that I quite like and enjoy fishing as well. You never hear me talk about it because I never catch anything. But you see, fishing is something that takes so much patience. When our kids were younger, we did take them fishing uh, quite uh, on many occasions. They did enjoy it at the beginning, but because we've never caught anything for years, they hate it now. But I've got a picture of Caleb. This was years ago at Mordialic Pier. That was his first fish. It was a toady. You can't eat that thing. I had to chuck it back in. This was Esther a few years ago at Portsea. She didn't catch that fish. It was someone else on the pier. She said, oh, there's fish. Let's take a photo with it. <laughs> you can't eat that thing too. You have to chuck it back in. But you see, fishing takes patience. Now, if you enjoy fishing, but you can't catch anything and you run out of patience, what do you do? 
Well, last year we managed to catch this beast. It's a trout. We had to go to a trout farm for that. <laughs> and we had to pay for it. It cost us money. And what do you do if, if you like fish? You don't even have that patience to go to a trout farm. You just go to the fish and chip store and pay for your fish there. But you see, there's something good with being patient. And this morning, that's what I want us to think about, being patient. And so I'd like to ask, how are you, how are we, at being patient, at waiting? We wait all the time in life, don't we? We wait at the groceries to pay for our groceries. We wait for our results, our school results, our medical results. We wait for our interview. We wait for the results of our job interviews. We, we wait for our flights. We wait in queue. We, some wait for their bride and wait too long. How are you at waiting? You see, in our society, we want everything instantly. Instant coffee, instant noodles, instant pasta. And it's always not so easy to see that there is some value in waiting. It's hard to see because we always want it. It's my time, it's my way, and I want it now. Well, this week, this very word from this chapter, Isaiah 30, the very word of God has been a good reminder for me what value is there in patience and in waiting. Because, you see, in patience, in waiting, we learn to trust in God. God is trustworthy. God will work, and God will work in his own time. And that's the lesson we see God teaching his own people once again. So keep your Bibles to Isaiah 30. We'll wait, make our way through it. God is trying to teach this lesson to his very own people. Remember in Isaiah, God, God speaks judgment to all the surrounding nations. But yet again, like last week, he's now speaking not to the other nations, but to his own people. And they need to hear this word. God has a problem not with outsiders, but with insiders, with his own people. And that's not something you ever want to hear from God. But that is what God is saying here. So what were the people of God like? Well, their natural way, the natural way of all people, in fact, the natural way of even us, is that they were obstinate and impatient. Obstinate and impatient. And so here in verse 1, we see God summons them. Remember the word woe, we heard that last week. The word woe is like a summons. That is God saying to his people, you sit down and listen up. I have a word for you. I'm going to judge you. Woe, listen up. And what was their problem? Well, they were obstinate. Obstinate means they're, they're stubborn. They're stiff-necked. You know that old saying we've heard and we've said, you can lead a horse to the water, but you can't, make it, you can't make it drink. Now, I've never tried that with a horse, but I suspect that's true. But what we see here is that the very people of God, so stubborn, so obstinate, you can't even lead the people of God to the water. They're just going off and doing their own thing. And what are, what are they doing? Well, we see in verse 1, instead of coming to God, trusting in God, they're coming up with their own plans and schemes. 
They know the Assyrians are coming, that superpower. They're, they're, they're so frightening and terrifying. They're afraid, and they're now taking matters in their, into their own hands. They should be turning to God, but they're taking matters into their own hands. And look at what God says, verse 1. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin. Now remember, they're frightening words, terrifying words, condemning words, but God is speaking to his own people, sin upon sin they're heaping. And so in, instead of trusting their God, the King of Kings, they're trusting here in political alliances, in political powers, in little kings. And what political alliance? Well, we see in verse 2, they're turning to Egypt. Now, do you see the irony in that? The Assyrians are coming, superpower. They could turn to God, the king of kings, but yet they're looking south to Egypt. And there is irony in that. Because remember, a few hundred years ago, they were slaves in Egypt. God delivered them from Egypt, but now they're going back the same way. And God showed them he's far more powerful. He sent the, the mighty plagues, showed his mighty power over Egypt, but yet they're going back. And so you can see why God calls them, you stubborn people, you obstinate people, what are you doing? And so verse 2, they're going down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. Now just notice that language there. I mean, in their own Psalms, they call God, you are my rock and refuge. But here, they're calling Egypt their refuge. And so they won't turn to God. They're going down to Egypt instead. How will it turn out for them? Well, we read on, it won't be good for them. The, the obstinate, the stubborn, it will never turn out good for them. They'll eventually be shown to be fools. There's a wonderful proverb that says, A man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without, without remedy. And that's what we see in verse 3. Look at it. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. And so God's saying to his own people, You're so stubborn, you're so obstinate and stiff-necked. You could turn to me, trust in me. But you don't, you turn away, and that will be to your shame. But yet it gets worse. They're also impatient. And we all know that impatience always leads to all sorts of trouble. Like instant coffee, that's trouble, if you're so impatient. But what do they do? Well, instead of turning to God, instead of waiting for God, they carry the treasures of their king Hezekiah. They go through the dangerous hazardous journey down back to Egypt where there are lions and snakes back the way they left centuries earlier they're coming to Egypt and say they're pleading come and help us we give you this treasure and how much help will Egypt provide verse 7 they go to Egypt whose help is utterly useless therefore I call her Rahab Rahab is another word for Egypt the do nothing is sort of like a pun in another translation, it is Rahab who just sits. And so what's happening here? Well, they bring all this treasure from their treasury down to Egypt, hoping that Egypt will help them, but they're getting ripped off by Egypt, paid a whole stack of money, but there's no help from them. But now it even gets worse. 
not only stubborn and impatient, God now tells them, this is what you're like. This is what will happen to you. But they just won't listen. They've got selective listening. They only want to hear what they want to hear. Look at verses 8 to 9. Go now, God says, write it on a tablet for them, inscribe it on a scroll, that for the days to come it may be an everlasting witness. These are rebellious people, deceitful children. Remember, these are the children of God, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. And so the people of God, they've got selective ears, selective listening. They don't want to hear the bad stuff from God. They only want to take the good stuff. And so they're like covering their ears and pretending they can't hear from God. They just don't want to hear what God has to say. And so verse 10, they, they, they say to the seers, See no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. And so the people of God, they're so deluded. They're, they're saying, we don't want to hear anything from God. Prophets, you know, just keep silent. Only tell us the good stuff. Don't tell us the bad stuff. And if we just reflect on that, I wonder whether that happens even amongst Christians today, you know, just selective in our listening. It's what the, uh, the Apostle Paul says when he, he says, the people of God, the people in the church, only listen to what their itching ears want to hear. And when Christians only listen to what their itching ears want to hear, it will be to their shame. It's like the people of God here in Isaiah's time. Stubborn, obstinate, and impatient. Now where would this stubbornness and impatience lead to? Well, it leads to nowhere pleasant. They'll be broken like pottery. Have a look at verse 14. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found. I mean, that's the way of God's people back then. In fact, it's the way of people generally. Obstinate, stubborn, and impatient. But now what's God's way? What would God want? What is the attitude that God wants from his own people? What is it that God expects from his own people? Well, it's the flip side. It is one of repentance and patience. Repentance is always the right attitude towards God. Because when we repent, it's a recognition that I've gone the wrong way and I need to turn back to God. I need to do a 180. It is not my way. It is God's way. That is repentance. And so I need to come back to God in humility. And that is what God says here. It is only by turning back to God that we find salvation. It is only when we turn back to God that God says you find rest. You find salvation, you find refuge, and you find strength. Look at verse 15 now. This is what God wants. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. God says, turn back to me, repent. But what did the people of God do? For the last bit of verse 15. But you would have none of it. That's how stubborn they were. You would have none of it. They didn't want to repent. 
They didn't want to turn back. They were going the wrong way. They're not, they're not acknowledging that is the wrong way. They're staying there and going down that path. They didn't want to humble themselves before Almighty God. And so what will happen? Well, though God wants them to repent, though they refused, well, they will get that. It's a bit like our lesson in the kids' church today. They will be pursued by the enemy armies. They will run away until finally, look at how it's described now. It's a, it's a wonderful picture, verse 17. You will flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Just try to picture that. You see, it's a picture of a huge mountain, no people around, no army, just a pole in the middle. Everyone's gone, everyone's deserted, everyone's run off scared. If they had only repented, God would save them. But they didn't. But what God also wanted was not only for repentance, but for patience. To not take matters into their own hands, but to wait for God. God is faithful. God will save them. They could have just waited. You see, the impatience led them to make this terrible alliance. They got ripped off. They got betrayed. But more than that, what we see here is in fact quite unusual in this next verse. It's not only that God wants them to wait, to be patient. You people of God, just wait for me. Be patient. Trust me, I will come to save. It's not only that God wants them to wait, but we read now that it is God who waits for them. God who longs for them. God longs for them to come back so that he could just grab them and shower them with compassion and love. God waits. God wants them to wait on God, and God longs to show them compassion. God waits for them. The picture here in verse 18, it's a bit like the story of the prodigal son, you know, the one that Jesus teaches, the one who squandered his father's inheritance. And after realizing that he, he's just a, a fool, he comes back to his father and what did the father do? Well, the father wasn't there sitting on the porch with, with his arms crossed, legs up, ready to rebuke his younger son. Instead, when the father saw him far off, what did the father do? He ran to the son. He longed for the son. He was so patient with the son. Ran to the son, grabbed him, kissed him, gave his ring to him, threw a banquet for him. And he says, he, 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 this son of his, once lost, but now found, once blind, but now he sees. Well, that is what God is like here. God not only wants his people to wait for him, God waits for them. God longs. God is patient, longs to be gracious. And this is our key verse, verse 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. The word longs for is the same word as wait. It's the, it's the same word we see later in verse 18. God waits and blessed are those who wait. God waits and blessed are those who wait. So verse 18, the Lord waits, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. And so God himself waits. He is patient. He longs. He's just ready to show grace and mercy. And God wants his people to also wait for God, to be patient, to trust that God will do his thing. 
Now, this does not mean to wait for God. It doesn't mean to do nothing, to live with that motto, to let go and let God. That's not what he's saying. It's also not saying be passive and inactive. I mean, that's just being irresponsible. It's not telling us here to let go and let God. But instead, what waiting here means is don't take matters into your own hands. Don't do what is convenient and expedient. But wait, be patient. Trust that God has it under control. In God's time, God's purposes will be fulfilled. In God's time, you will see what God will do. And so to wait means to, to be patient, to, to depend on God, to trust in Him. And here, the promise for those who do wait for God, do, who do trust in God, who do wait patiently, we're given a, a wonderful description here. It's, it's a beautiful picture. It's, it's extraordinary, in fact. It's, in fact, a little glimpse of heaven. Have a look, verses 19 onwards. There will be no more tears, verse 19. They will no longer be blind. They will know God, verse 20. They will no longer be deaf, verse 21. There will no longer be idolatry, verse 22. There will be an abundance of food, verse 23. And then verse 26, all bruises, wounds will be healed. Every hurt, every pain, every sorrow, one day gone. You see that beautiful description there? It's really a glimpse of heaven. Even then, 2,700 years ago, Isaiah gave his people a glimpse of heaven. And that's what we see fulfilled in Revelation. But now notice verse 26. It's an interesting verse. What's surprising in verse 26, halfway down? Have a look. We read, When the Lord binds up the bruises of his people and heals the wounds, have a look, someone inflicted. Is that what we read? He heals the wound, some clown inflicted. Is that what we read? Or he heals the wounds, some loser inflicted, or some enemy inflicted. Is that, is that what we read? No, that's, that's not what we read. We read, he heals the wounds he inflicted. Who inflicted those wounds? It is God himself. Now, what do you think that suggests? Well, what that suggests is that judgment comes from God and so does salvation. And it's the theme we've been seeing in Isaiah. Judgment comes first and through that salvation. It is God who brings judgment. It is him who inflicts. And it is God who brings salvation. And so God here, we see he longs to show mercy and compassion and grace. And he will. And in our final verses, God shows how foolish his people were. They should have just trusted God. Even though their Syrians were so terrifying, so scary, so powerful, they should have just rested and trusted in the mercy and grace of God. You see, God in the end did save them. He saved them from the Assyrians. All they needed was God. Look at verse 31. Look at what God did to the Assyrians. Verse 31. The voice of the Lord will shatter Assyria, and with his scepter 
who will strike them down. See, God came through. They could have just waited. Not waste all their treasures and money and go down to Egypt. They could have just waited for God. And so what's God's way? What did God want from his people? It's so simple, isn't it, the lesson here? Don't be so obstinate. Don't be so stubborn and impatient. Instead, turn back, repent. Depend on me, God says, and be patient. Just watch. Just watch and see what I'll do. Now, that's our chapter. It's quite a simple lesson, I think. But what do you think this passage is teaching us today? What is God expecting from his people today? We see what God expected from his people back then is the same as what God expects from his people today. And so let's ask ourselves that question. What do you think God expects from us today here in Surrey Hills, 2018? Well, he expects the exact same thing 2,700 years ago. And that is, don't be obstinate. Don't be so stubborn. Don't be so impatient. Instead, not just some days, not just on Sundays, but every day, turn back. You're going the wrong way. Turn back, repent, depend on me. Not just some days, and not just on Sundays, but every day, be patient. And you will see what I will do. You'll see, God says, that I can be trusted. You'll see, God says, I will keep to my promises. Now, I wonder how many of us here this morning knows not only that to be true, but has experienced that to be true. I mean, I, I see it in myself as I reflected. Like I said to you, every week God has the right word, not just for me, but hopefully for his church as well. I see it in myself. I can be so, so stubborn and obstinate and impatient all the time. And it's actually quite ugly when it's brought to my attention. I mean, only ask Yvonne and she can tell you. In fact, don't ask her, but she might tell you too much. But, but when I try to take matters into my own hands, I, I see it all the time. When I try to take care of things my own way, I'll get things done. I'll do it in my time. I'll fix things. I'll sort things out. That's my way of living. What do I learn each and every time? What does God teach me each and every time? Well, God is pretty clear. Whoa. He says, no, you won't. You might think that. No, you won't. You won't take care of things. You can't get things done. It won't be in your time. You won't be able to sort things out. But instead, God teaches me each and every time, it will be in my time and I'm not in any hurry. I'll sort things out, God says. I'll get things done, God says. Things have never been in your hands anyway. They have always been in my hands. I'll get things done in my time. That's what I've learned each and every time. When I'm impatient, I won't get things sorted and all that. God teaches me, teaches me each and every time, I'll get things done in my time, my way. Even this last week, I was reminded by this lesson, not just looking at this passage, but having a chat with a, a very wise man I, I respect deeply. 
I admire highly this, this godly man. He said to me, the Lord in his own time will wash the mess away. It was wonderful to hear. And it reminded me again, not my way, never my way. It's always God's way. Not stubbornness, but repentance. Not impatience, but patience. Now, do you know what I call that type of experience, where we not only know the truth, but we've experienced the truth? When I learn to trust God the hard way. Do you know what I call that? I call it God's tough grace. God's tough grace. It's always tough. Always tough to experience that it won't be done in my way or in my time. It's always tough. But it is always grace. Because in God's time, God's good purposes will be seen. It's God's tough grace. That's how God deals with us. In fact, had a, we had a, in fact, quite a nice chat with the two students staying with us last night. And we had a, a little chat a bit about this. They stayed with us this past week and they've seen how crazy our household gets. But thankfully, they never had to experience my cooking this past week. Even if they stayed with me for a whole year, they probably won't experience that anyway. But, but we did talk a little bit about this. You know, God's tough grace. What that means is that if I'm not humble, God will humble me. If I stand high and lofty, God will bring me down. If I want it now, God will make me wait. If I am impatient, God will make me patient, like it or not. That's God's way. It is called God's tough grace. Now I suspect it's not only me who have experienced this in this room. I suspect many of us not just know this, but have experienced this. But now let me ask, why is it then that we can always repent? with great assurance. Why is it that we can always turn to, turn to God and, and know that he will open his arms towards us? How is it that we can be so assured that we can be patient and wait for the Lord? How do we know that? What confidence do we have? How? Well, it is simply by knowing this. Because God himself, he waits for us. It is the Lord who waits for us. That is the type of God God is. It is the Lord who longs for us, longs to be gracious to us. It is the Lord who yearns for us, who is so patient with us. That is why I can wait for God, because that is the type of God God is. I mean, if we just look at what God has done in history, how God has waited in history so patiently, our hearts should melt. I mean, after, at the very beginning, when God created such a beautiful world and he placed Adam and Eve in it to care for it, what did they do? Well, Adam and Eve, they destroyed it. They foolishly listened to a serpent instead of God Almighty who made them. They destroyed the world. How foolish, how wicked. And what did God do? So, so patient. God could have wiped them out. Just two people, just, you know, kill them. 
make them disappear, wipe them out, and start again. But God didn't. So patient. Allowed them to live. Allowed them to have children who continue to sin. That's the patience of God. And then in the time of Noah, what was the world like then? Every inclination of the human heart was evil and wicked all the time. I mean, it grieved the heart of God. But what did God do? Well, God could have wiped the whole world entirely, built another earth, started from scratch. He almost did. But in his patience, he allowed Noah and his children to go on living. And they weren't perfect. They continued to sin. That's the patience of God. And then in the time of Moses, what were the people of God like? Well, instead of worshipping the God who just delivered them from Egypt, worshipping that God, what did they do? In foolishness, in wickedness, with their hands, they made a golden calf and bowed down to this thing. How foolish, how wicked, how offensive to God. And what did God do? Well, God could have started again. Wipe that nation. Kill off the Israelites. Pick another Abraham and start from scratch. But God didn't. He brought them to the promised land. That's the patience of God. And then in our passage, in the time of Isaiah, what were the people of God like? Well, foolishly again, instead of trusting in the God who delivered them, who saves them, who is trustworthy, they made an alliance with Egypt. And what did God do? Well, we read in verse 18, God longs, God waits, God is patient with them. God waits to show them mercy and compassion. That's the patience of God. And then, the greatest display of patience the world has ever seen in the time of Jesus. What were the people of God like? They spat on the Son of God. They butchered the Son of God. They crucified the Son of God. And what did God do? I mean, you see your son hanging there on the cross, bleeding, gasping for breath, crying, pleading, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what did God do? Well, any father would think, this is it. I've had enough of these people. I'm going to put an end to it. They are not worth my son. Any father would do that. God would send his legions of angels, destroy them all. This is it. But what did God do? God was so patient. God waited because God longs, so longs to show mercy and compassion to his people. And God showed that in the death of his son, seeing him die, hanging on the cross, dying for our sins. That's the patience of God. God is even more patient than we are sinful. God is even more patient than we are sinful. And if that is what our God is like, how can I be stubborn and impatient with God? How can I not, with 
every cell of my body, with every breath I breathe, humbly, patiently, trust in this God. Now, if you believe that, do you see how that affects our life? Do you see how that affects our every day? See, when Jesus said this in Matthew, when he said this, he meant it. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying, don't be impatient. Don't try to solve things yourself. Don't bear the burden yourself. He goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so this past week, in just my life, I had to put all of this into practice. Humble, patient trust in God Almighty. Many of our students and many from our church went out door knocking this week. We were, were out Box Hill yesterday morning speaking to strangers. It would have been wonderful if every single person we knocked the door on, if every single person we spoke at in Box Hill trusted in Jesus on the spot when we shared the gospel with them, brought many to faith this week. But we have to put this in practice. We have to be patient, trusting that in God's timing, God will use our feeble efforts this week to bring about his good purposes. I have to be patient. One of my cohorts from my study group I mentioned last week, another one from, uh, from my Bible college uh, that I went to, only this week uh, I mentioned this uh, friend of mine, not the one with the heart problem, another friend now, a missionary in Egypt, one who teaches at a Bible college there. He discovered just this past week he had, he's got tuberculosis, a lung disease, had to come back to Australia only this week, a treatment that could last for up to six months. But for my friend, being in contact with him, trying to comfort him and his wife and his kids, uh, I reminded him, but he's also reminding, reminding me. I mean, in times like this, what do you do? You just have to be patient. Patient again. Trusting in God's kindness. That God somehow in his own timing will show his good work who is always working his good works for this friend of mine who loves him, putting into practice humble, patient trust. But this past week, I've seen how humble, patient trust in God has in fact brought about such great joy. On Wednesday this week, I got a, a text from one of our sisters here told me with great joy that her very close friend, whom she's been meeting up for so long to read through the Gospel of John, whom she's been praying for for so, so long and so persistently. She's brought along to church many times. She's brought her to an evangelistic event. She, she's been saying, this friend of her so close to believing. I met her only a couple of weeks ago. She was so close to becoming a Christian. And this sister's just praying, saying, when, Lord, when will she believe? But this Wednesday, she did. She became a Christian. Her prayers were answered. 
in God's time. That news made my day. In fact, it made my week over the moon. Humble, patient trust in God. And so what is God's word for you this morning? How shall we live this coming week, this coming month, the rest of this year? Well, this week, many of you will know that I'm on annual leave. I might just go fishing to learn patience once again. But for all of us, it must be to live this day, this week, this year, humbly, patiently, trusting in our good God who was so, so patient, who would even watch his son die for us. That's the Lord we wait for. Let's pray. Almighty Father, it is really beyond understanding that though you are so holy and righteous and good, you will be so patient with us. You would even long to show us mercy. And so we pray, Lord, that you would work this truth deep into our hearts, that we would indeed always humbly, patiently wait on you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who died for our sins. Amen.